Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a mom of three kids, ages two, five, and seven, and I live in Southern California. And I'm Megan. I am the mom of five kids, ages six through 17, and I live in Michigan. This is the Mom Hour, part of the Life Listened Network. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of the Mom Hour. I'm Sarah Powers, and I am here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be back recording. We had a little uh, recording break, so it feels like it's been a while. It has been. Um, today, we're going to be talking about, we're doing a follow-up episode. So if you're just joining us, um, welcome. We are doing a follow-up to episode 19 which was ended up being really popular and we had a lot of fun with. It was things we wish we wouldn't have freaked out about as new moms. So, yeah, it, we got a ton of great feedback about it. I think hopefully it made some new moms feel better. And we did get some requests for follow-up. And I think we wanted to follow up ourselves because we literally ran out of time. We Talk- did. We could have done like three hours of that. And I think we <laughs> ended up mostly focusing on really new mom stuff, yep. like the first six months, which yep. wasn't even intentional, but we kind of, like I said, we almost ran out of time. So... Today, we're going to talk about things we wish we wouldn't have freaked out about toddler edition. It is mostly kind of toddler related and just in general, a part two. We can keep going with this too, because we can, next time we'll talk about things I shouldn't be freaking out about right now. Things I should stop freaking out about this very moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so this is episode 24. If you haven't listened to episode 19, don't worry about it. We'll just kind of pick up where we left off. And like I said, we got some great listener feedback and questions that we'll take on. Um, but first we're going to do our little regular segment where we take you guys inside our Instagram stream and talk about what we've been up to in our lives lately. I have to say this highly irregular, semi-regular, uh, segment is becoming much more regular. It is. It is. It's almost regular now. It is almost, yes, it is almost a regular segment. And we're going to bring back our product feature segment too, because everybody likes it when we do that. So we'll do that one next time. Um, but you guys can find us on Instagram. You are at Megan Francis. I am at Powers of Mine. And then the Mom Hour also has its own Instagram account. Um, and I've been pretty good about keeping up on that. So that's at the Mom Hour. So um, be sure to, if you are an Instagram person, be sure to follow us and you can see these and many more pictures. So, And if you don't happen to know this already, my name has an extra A in it. That's true. And people who are listening might not know. So it's M-E-A-G-A-N. Francis. So anyway, okay, so I'm looking at your, the first thing I noticed, Megan, is you have a new little profile picture on your Instagram. I do. And your social profiles. I wonder who took that. I did. Cute. So we have to back up and uh, tell people if they didn't know that we got to hang out in person, which we don't get to do very often, um, a couple of weeks ago at the Beyond Retreat that you hosted in Michigan, um, which was great. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, that and that was going to be the picture that I chose was going to be um, one from your feed of Beyond. (laughs) So I like the the hand knitting one. But anyway, so just to put it in a nutshell, um, I guess 10 women total. from all around the country, um, not just my little neck of the woods, but California and 
Chicago and other areas in the Midwest yeah, and DC. And, yeah. DC. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all over the place c- converged upon um, my little area of Michigan, Southwest Michigan. And we stayed in a house for the weekend and we talked about our goals and intentions and we had great mm-hmm. conversation and we ate good food and slept. it was re- we slept yeah. and we walked on the beach and we did, it was yoga. Really, yeah, we did yeah. yoga. It was really, really special. It was. Um, it was the first live event I've hosted that I've wanted to do that for a long time. Yeah. And the timing never seemed about right. It, you feel like you feel it good all about it? just came together so easily. I mean, I really thought it was going to be much more logistically um, scary than it was. And in mm-hmm. the end, I think maybe because partly because the timing was right and I just mm-hmm. waited so long that I knew exactly what I wanted it to be like. Mm-hmm. And partly because we just had really good people there that really helped a lot. Um, yep. But it was fantastic. It was such a great experience and there'll definitely be more beyond retreats in the future and beyond. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And, and the pictures are so pretty because this, the scenery where we were was spectacular and the women who were there were beautiful and spectacular. So it was, um, it was a very special time. Um, if people want to stay up on those types of events is, um, meganfrancis.com, the best place. Yeah. Just go there and sign up for my email list. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sending them sporadically at the moment, but I haven't got a plan to get. But if you back do announce that. another, if I do announce something, I feel something, like the next one's going to fill like instantaneously. Yeah, I have. A these are not going to. They're not large events, right. so those ten spots I feel like might fly next yep, time. Yep, I think that you're right. So definitely at yeah, meganfrancis.com, just sign up for the email list, and you'll be kept in the know that way. Although the podcast is also a great way to be kept up to date. We've talked about all yeah. this stuff. You know, if and you, if you listen to every single episode. Um, were there because they heard us talk about it on the podcast. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah. And so I have to say, so your little profile picture that is now your profile picture on some of your social media accounts was we found this little like, well, I thought it was like a cool barn door, kind of a cool yeah. background. And we were going to take some pictures of the two of us, which by the way, we continue to fail to really get a good picture Here's of the, the two thing. of us. Here's the thing. I'm terrible at having my photo taken because I either, <laughs> I goof around, like I can't do a normal smile. You, My husband was there. Oh, by the way, so John actually did the food all weekend. So he was kind of hanging around with us and he came out to take some pictures of Sarah and I, and he was so frustrated. He's like, would you just just smile at the camera like a normal human. And I can't, I can't like I smile too big or I get all scary looking or I laugh. (laughs) I'm terrible at having my photo taken. Well, these, I feel like, I think when I took this picture of you, um, I was mostly checking the light and I'm not a professional photographer, but I like to play around. And so I, I, we were looking for a place to take a couple of pictures. So I just wanted you to stand there. So I was just looking at the light and my camera settings. And then you ended up like making this sort of corny. Yeah. Like, it was like doing your picture post. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super cute. And yeah. the barn door is cool. I yeah, still, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a great picture. Uh, you should put that in your, in your portfolio. I think, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, my but it's because I wasn't trying. It's because oh, yeah. I wasn't trying to make it a good picture. That's why it turned out good. Well, so. it's very cute. I think it's super cute. Um, and John got yeah. a great one of all of us at the retreat, which I love, uh, and is in my Instagram feed. So you can put that one in the show yes, notes. I'll as well, put that so. one. And then the arm knitting, which I think is in mine, which you were going to talk about. We oh, have yeah. to say too that arm knitting was hilarious. Um, it, knitters out there, if you've ever tried to teach someone to knit, and I have been witness to this a couple of times where I've been learning to knit, it is one of those things that is like so. It's such a muscle memory thing mm-hmm. that you think you're it's like not a, it's, you think it's easy. And then as soon as you try and break it down and teach someone, it becomes quite comical. Yeah. So yeah, we had arm knitting, arm knitting lessons. If you don't know what arm knitting is, it's the same basic function. Only instead of needles, you're literally using your arms. As so huge it, it needles. makes these big chunky yeah. knits. And, and it was uh, hilarious. Well, Jenna, my sister-in-law came to teach and she's knitted for a long time and she's a teacher. And so she's she, a real teacher. Yeah. Yeah. She's an actual teacher. Um, but I mean, it was so funny because I could tell I was like stressed. She was getting, you know, like she was like getting a little flushed, like for the first 10 minutes while everyone's yeah. like, what? And everyone's just sitting there with their arms covered in yarn. Yeah. Like what? And then everyone got it. And everybody who did it made a scarf and had yes. a scarf. At and the it, end. once it clicks, it's like, then you, then you can at least begin to ask the right questions. But in the beginning, yeah, it did, people would think they were just tied up in yarn around their yes. wrists, like bound and yes. yeah, it was, it was like some great. like retreat had just taken a very freaky turn. So it was great. And Jenna <laughs> was amazing to stick with us. Yeah. So um yeah, so we'll put an arm knitting picture and a couple more pictures from beyond. And again, if you want to find out more about future retreats, um meganfrancis.com, just um sign up for Megan's emails there. So yeah. all right. So should we launch into this? Let's do it. Things we shouldn't have freaked out about volume two, the mm-hmm. toddler edition, the toddler yes. years. The toddler years. Um, 
All right. Well, I have a I have a couple specific ones that I felt like I stressed out about in the toddler years more than I needed to, um, and I can start there unless okay. you have something. That's no, just you start because I think that you and I probably have at least one, you know, or two crossovers. We're so. usually the same. Yeah. Um, so my first one is maybe not as common, but maybe there's others out there, and that is my kids getting sick um, and germs. So I feel like. For some people, this might have been more of a newborn worry, but I got lucky and had a really healthy, um, like healthy baby the first time, and she was also born in late April. So we had like six whole months before cold and flu season. We never had any like, you know, scary colds or RSV or any of that um, with the first baby. And then she went into daycare when she was 14 months, and she had been home with sitters and my mom and stuff. Um, and of course, anyone who you know has a toddler in daycare knows it's just like. It's unavoidable. I mean, just the colds. And that was the year of H1N1. Mm -hmm. And I was pregnant. So there was a lot of worries about that. And then I think the bigger stressor for me was not that I was worried, you know, about her physical health, like she was going to die or something. But the logistics of staying home from work, rescheduling, I was lucky that I had a pretty flexible work schedule. And I worked about 60%. I worked a a little more than half, but I worked a part-time week. And I had some flexibility, which all is already I was luckier than a lot of people out there. But the idea of like a fever in the night and waking up and had to having to move things around for work, stay home from daycare or get childcare if I couldn't move things around for work. It was so stressful for me. And I know some of that's unavoidable. It just is stressful. But I think I let it just what happened is I let it consume me so that at the first sign of a runny nose, yeah. I would freak out. And then what I would do, and this is like, this is me. I realize I, I get most freaked out when I can't, when I don't know how something's going to turn out. So I would try to anticipate, like, I'd be asking everybody what's going around and I'd try to figure out what this was. Is it strep? Is it an ear infection? And I was trying to do all that, like myself in my head with, without a lot more symptoms other than a fever and a runny nose. So I had a really hard time, like, letting normal toddler colds run their course without getting completely wound up about them. And then right after that, then I had a baby who did get a lot of ear infections. And I feel like the combination of that first toddler in daycare and then a baby who did get pretty frequent ear infections as an infant and then pretty bad, he got bad like um, bronchial stuff as a toddler. So I feel like for a few years there, I just would get sent right to like this freak out place uh, at the first sign of a cold. And I think what I've learned to do better now after years is just sounds so silly, but just be like, okay, well, we don't know where this is going. Right. Might be, it might be a quickie. It might be a long one and there's nothing I can do about it right now. So I'm just going to take care of my sick kid, you know, put on a show on the TV so everyone can chill out. So I don't know. I don't know if anybody can relate to that or if it was just me, but I felt like I tried to like somehow control the outcome. <laughs> Something that's completely uncontrollable. Yeah. Really. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you have any experience with that one. Um, I personally don't. Isn't that weird? I, yeah. I, that was not one of the things that would freak me out so much. I think because I realized how futile it was for me to worry me about it at all. <laughs> and there was like absolutely nothing I could do. Um, you know, we washed hands and yeah. kept, kept noses wiped as well as possible, but I just, that wasn't one of my big ones, yeah. but I also didn't have, um, the same daycare situation yeah. that you did. And I think that that makes, you cannot underestimate that. I think I actually had more anxiety when I was briefly single with mm-hmm. um, a three and they were three and five at the time. Mm-hmm. And then thinking like, how am I going to make this all work if they get sick? So, right. you know, that was more of one of those like nagging worries always in the back of my head along with a million other things. Right. Um, but the toddler years for me, for whatever reason, I think I was just kind of like, meh. I know. And well, I just and I didn't have, have very sick we'll kids. I have other things we'll talk about where yeah. I was totally meh and didn't worry. You right. guys may all think that I worry about everything, but really I have some things that I think people worry about that I just didn't. So I get it. I think it's good for people to hear. That was a worry for me, not for you. Well, and isn't the takeaway though that there really was nothing you could do about it and worrying nothing. didn't help? What is that? What is that Bible quote? I think it's a Bible <laughs> quote, like sufficient unto tomorrow or the worries. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, no. A, it's, it's, but... It basically means like, you've got enough to worry about. So just don't like go looking for trouble. I think is, yes. is what the Bible was much more eloquently saying. Yes. Well, and what it comes down to, right. Is sometimes there's so little we can control that for me, I try to like, I felt like if I had all the information and I knew how sick we were going to get, I could be somehow prepared. And when um, it would have been better to just acknowledge that I might not be prepared. I might yeah. not get to go to work, whatever. But I think that's, yeah. 
Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay. Well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as forever chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Now, one thing, now I didn't worry about my kids getting sick, but one thing I did kind of stress about, which is definitely related, um, was more like preventive health stuff. So like Mm -hmm. diet, I I remember I had the, um, the what to expect the toddler years book Mm -hmm. and it had... It was called like the best odds diet, which I always think is such a terrible phrase. Like, (laughs) I mean, the chances aren't good, but if you can't feed your kids these foods, like the the odds are better that they're they're going to make it. I mean, what was that supposed to even mean? So I would. So anyway, I really obsessed about that. And I remember having all these like, especially when I had a um, a toddler and a baby, a newborn Mm -hmm. at the same time, having all these strategies in place where, um, you know, like having a, a... like a tray, um, an ice cube tray, th- sorry, on the mm-hmm. bottom of the fridge filled with like healthy snacks so that if I was stuck in a chair nursing the baby, you oh. know, Jacob wouldn't have to wait 10 minutes to eat. Right. Like I was like kind of obsessed for a little while with making sure he had, now the funny thing was he couldn't even open the fridge. Yet. Right. <laughs> so I don't know, like it seemed like a good idea at the time, but it really logistically made no sense um, in, in practice. But I remember being very concerned about making sure that he had just the right exactly right balance of different kinds of foods right nutritional well yeah yeah so that he would be well whether or not that meant he wouldn't get a cold it wasn't really the point I mean I'm not really even sure what I was worried about to be honest it's not I don't I don't know if I thought it's been so long now if I thought he was going to be like nutritionally deficient in some area or if I just wouldn't be doing my job as a mom if I didn't make sure he had access to all these I don't know what it was but I really obsessed about food well something probably clicked for you in that reading about preventive yeah care and you know like taking a natural approach to making sure you're healthy and then just like our brains do you can kind of like take that to the extreme or to the yeah yeah let it dictate everything yeah um okay so my next one I think well I actually I don't know if you worry too much about this but I know a lot of people do and that is potty training and I'll just say that 
I had three completely different potty training experiences. And um, the first two, I definitely just tried to control more. I think that's the word. More than worry yeah. is I just, I just felt like I should be able to make this potty training happen. And mm -hmm. the first time, I think I probably, in retrospect, tried to do it a little too young. But my oldest was very large for her age. So she looked like she was three and a half when she was two. And I think there was a little bit of my own like self-consciousness about oh, that because yeah. it looked like this giant like preschooler had a saggy diaper. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she was ready technically developmentally, but it was very much me who decided now we are potty training and we did like the three-day method where you stay home. And it actually worked for her, but I just don't feel like I don't, in retrospect, I don't know why I didn't just kind of wait for it to, an opportunity to prevent it, present itself more organically rather than me like deciding. I mean, I remember it was Labor Day weekend, so we had three days and we literally like stayed home all of Labor Day weekend to potty train, which is just kind of silly in retrospect. Yeah. And then my second kid was harder to potty train and he, and I tried a couple times with that more like rip the bandaid off, go right to undies, cold turkey, mm -hmm. and it just failed. And so that was stressful because what had worked with the first didn't work with the second. And of course, he was fine. It was pretty close to when he started preschool. So it yeah. was, we were under the wire there. But again, like why I thought it's got to be now when I didn't just wait. And then lo and behold, my third child, who's quite difficult in most ways, literally potty trained herself. Like, I, so I mean, it was amazing. That was so, basically what Clara did. I don't really even remember having any part of it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I did something. Right. But it just, yeah. So that was one for me too where, I mean, it wasn't, I wouldn't say worried. Right. I did with the first kid because mm -hmm. he was older. Like Jacob was past three by the time he was mm -hmm. finally done. Um, and he had that thing where like he would pee in the potty, but he would go no. get a diaper and put it on to poop Which, for like months. Which by the way, pause, if your kid is doing that, would you agree, Megan, that I almost think that's more than half the kids do that? It's more. It's been and more than half of my kids. Exactly. Sure. So, and yeah. I think you don't know that. Nobody tells you that. No, nobody but tells you. But being potty trained for pee and wanting to put on a diaper or pooping in your pull-up when you wake up in the morning or whatever variation on that mm -hmm. is so normal that I would say it's greater than average, whether yeah. it's for a few weeks or like a year. I know kids who did that for a year. I, like, I guess I read someplace there's some kind of psychological thing where they don't want to like let go. It's like letting yeah. go part of their body into yeah. the toilet and they don't know what's going to happen to it. And it's yeah. the sensation. I get that. The sensation is different. It's, it's way more intense to go from that, you know? Yeah. Um, but so, so Jacob was the kid who would like back his butt up under a chair and every, like he thought he was hiding and everybody <laughs> in the room could see what he was doing. I'm like, we can yeah. all, we can all see that you're pooping. Hello. Yeah. Um, and other ones too. I don't even want to just call out my, you know, teenager. That's probably bad form, but other, let's just say many of my kids, uh, proportionally have Who done now the exact successfully same use thing. the toilet. <laughs> yes. Almost every time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so that was one that I, I, I didn't worry. Like I worried with the first one because like you, I was embarrassed. I felt self-conscious. I felt mm -hmm. anxious. Like I should have gotten this done sooner mm -hmm. and that maybe I missed a window and now everyone's judging me. And nice. I was, you know, this was like a stage of life where I was very concerned about their parents judging me too. So mm -hmm. that was like a big, and, and this is one of those things where you can't start, you can't read the comments. You can't start reading other people's articles about potty training because right. there will be so many judgmental people who think, you know, they've got it all figured out. And there's always that right. anecdotal thing where someone, you know, someone's granddaughter was apparently potty trained. It's always the grandmas and grandpas, <laughs> I feel like, who, who remember these like, you know, whiz bang genius right. toddlers who did everything right. and who walked at six months and then right. were potty trained by a year and a half. And I kind of right. want to say, you know, maybe you're just remembering it wrong. Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, but anyway, so I, I do remember that being like a big anxiety thing for me with the first two, the second, the, the second like wave of kids, the next three, I just let them do whatever. And they all potty trained around the same time. Mm -hmm. I remember a friend saying something to me like, um, Claire was a little sooner. She mm -hmm. and you, I've heard that girls potty train sooner than boys mm -hmm. in my limited experience that did, that is mm -hmm. how it panned out. But I remember someone saying to yeah. me once, um, you could potty train the hard way for a year or the easy way in a week. Yes. I think I've heard you say that. Yeah. And I was, it totally was true. And the other thing I will say about if you're cutting it close to the wire with preschool mm -hmm. is that sometimes, or if, if your kid's in a daycare where they're about to bump up a level, mm -hmm. you know, um, sometimes like that's kind of almost the best time to just kind of squeeze it in because what yeah. I found is that then they go to preschool where there's a structure around yeah. it and then it's like they just see the other kids doing it and they just stay on track. Whereas right. if they were at your house, they might not because it's just a looser 
Yes. And oh, a lot of times schedule. preschools and daycares are very structured about everybody goes potty like every hour. Right. And no matter what they say about how strict they are about they have to be potty trained, most preschool teachers are very understanding. They're going to know if you sent a kid who's never heard of underwear to right. school versus <laughs> right. if you send a kid who's still learning. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. And um, I want to say one more thing about the whole um, generalization that boys are easier than girls, which that's been my experience too. My girls were younger than my son, but, um, I would say that verbal readiness, and this is one that you hear all the time, if they can talk about it or they understand the idea or they can take off their own clothes, like some of the other readiness cues I have found to be quite dubious. It's a, it's a much bigger picture of what readiness (laughs) means because I had an extremely verbal boy Mm -hmm. and an extremely early verbal. He was so verbal as a toddler. I mean, sentences and, um, was not ready emotionally, or we were not ready to potty train. And then I had a friend whose boy was the same age who literally could not put two words together at two. I mean, he was still just very much learning to talk and potty trained himself at two. So that's another one that I always feel like I have to like refute a little bit is that just because they can say the word, (laughs) that they understand the concept and say the words does not necessarily mean they're ready. And I feel like that one is often tied like, oh, if, they're, if their verbal or their comprehension is there, then they might be ready. Yeah, if they can sit on the toilet and, and flip through everybody poops, then that means, no, <laughs> that does not mean, it doesn't mean anything. And actually, for me, there is an emotional aspect for sure. For my kids, it was like, they just didn't care. Oh, exactly. And there it was a switch sense. that flipped when they cared. Yeah. And that's the only way I can put it. I mean, it was like, a, like they one day they didn't give a crap. They might sit on the toilet and you'd always get excited, you know, oh my gosh, my 18 month old just sat on the toilet and peed. I think we're about to potty train. And then it turns out. I think I've done that with all three being like, oh my gosh, this is it. And then it's like a year and a half later. (laughs) Well, and it's like, okay, they did that once. They're never doing that again. I mean, they just don't care. If they don't care, there's nothing, I mean, there's almost nothing you can do to make them care. And I will say, if we're talking about being stressed with all three kids, there's been a point in the potty training, even as differently as they were, where I've been like, oh my gosh, this is never, I, this is never going to end. And it, potty training, even if you kind of take the easy hands off, there's just a few days or a week or a couple of weeks where you just feel like your hands are like, it's like so messy and so yeah. frustrating. And so, and that's true, even, even with the easier ones. And I feel like it does end. So if you're in the middle of it, and that's another reason to wait, because like you said, it can last a year if you start too early sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I will just for the just, you know, for the moms out there who are listening and are in this right now, I will say that I don't think maybe Clara might have been fully potty trained before three. All of my boys were older than three. Yeah. And so my son, that age oh my is not. No. You know, it's, yeah. I think people have this arbitrary like two and a half has to be the age mm-hmm. or whatever. And if you get to three, you're a big failure. And I, I think it's so common for kids not to be fully potty trained. So even if you see them out, boys, yeah. Going back to our, we like to throw out bogus statistics sometimes. A hundred, according to our survey, a hundred percent of our boys yeah. were not potty trained at three. Yep, 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 yep. totally. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right, well, I've got another one to throw out there, and I don't know if you experienced this, but I I carried a lot of stress about adjusting a toddler to a new sibling, and this was just the first time the first time I added a sibling, so going from one kid to two, and Allegra was she she was they're twenty five months apart, so she was two, she turned two, and then a month later she got a brother, and I think that was as simple as the fact that the pregnancy and the newborn were familiar to me, so I had to have mm. something else to freak out about, and I just I really worried a lot about how she was going to adjust. I obsessed over the plans of who were, who she was going to be with. And I had a scheduled C-section, so I didn't even have to plan for like the middle of the night thing, but I was so fixated on the details of who was going to have her. And would she, you know, would she know what was going on? Would someone explain to her where mommy was? I was so worried she was going to worry about me. I mean, I'm sure like everyone does this to some extent, but that was where all of my energy went. And it could just as, easily have gone to some other source, but, um, that was, and then once he arrived, I, I, I let most of it go, but it was like in the final couple months of pregnancy, I really worried about how she was going to adjust and how we, how, how we could help her in that adjustment. And the truth is, I think for most kids, they just, they're fine. Like yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just not that big a deal. But yeah, know. no, I think, and a lot of it too, a lot of it is that uncertainty, especially when you're going from one to two. Um, mm-hmm. You just don't know what that's going to be like for anybody in the house. And I remember being pregnant with Isaac and walking through a store with Jacob, like at Michael's or something, and just thinking, oh, you know, pretty soon this won't be the way mm-hmm. it is anymore. It won't just be he- him and I anymore. Mm-hmm. 
as a little team, it's going to be this other person. And will I love that other baby as much? And, you right. know, all, all this, all the right. typical stuff. Uh, but the truth is, you know, even if I never had that second kid, it still wouldn't be the same way it was forever. You know, yeah, he would have gotten point. older either way. And there were lots of times where I would go to bed at night when he was little, um, when we, when they were both little. So when Jacob was like two and, uh, Isaac was, you know, three or four months old and just cry at night because I felt like I had just failed Jacob, you know, that, yes. that day, like I was so caught up in what was yes. in breastfeeding and diapering. Right. That there was this other kid that I just didn't really do anything with. And yes. it's, it was such a blip. I mean, it was really over so fast. I think I really, I really worried and let myself have so much anxiety and he was still yeah. having a pretty great life. I mean, he wasn't having the same amount of my undivided attention as he had, but I don't right. think that's a bad thing. Um, and wouldn't you say, too, in the age, let's say you add a sibling when a kid is two, three, or four, I mean, pretty common, those ages are so much about gaining independence and kind of testing that interdependence with mom or dad, not that you're being cut off, but that, but there's a certain amount of, okay, like, I can do something by myself and yeah. mom's over here, that we're no longer one person. I mean, that cognitive developmental step of mommy and I are not the same person, right. is that's happening in those years anyway, and so you know, it's, it's hard not to look at it as like, you've done something to your firstborn child. Right. <laughs> and I think we've all experienced that, but you can also flip that and look at it as I'm giving them this opportunity to experience that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah. it did get, it got easier with every kid. And by the time, you know, I want to say by the time fourth, fifth and your third, fourth and fifth came along, it was sort of like everyone just learned to just shove, you know, move over and make room mm-hmm. and be helpful in a way. I mean, that's when they're older. It wasn't a yeah. two year old, um, you know, running and fetching things. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that you're right. And I, I think that there's, they say kids are resilient. And I know that gets used a lot. But it's so mm-hmm. true, especially when it's something ultimately positive. Yes. Um, now, I don't know about you. I, I never really had the experience with Jacob where he demonstrated jealousy the way they say kids do sometimes. Mm-hmm. That was never really a thing. Maybe because he was too young to really mm-hmm. understand that he should be jealous. Right. I don't really know for sure. Did you have that, any of that with Olivia? With the first one? No, not at all. She, she did a couple other things that I could tell were reactionary. Like her yeah. sleep got bad. I think maybe a little potty regression. No, she wasn't potty trained yet. That was after, um, with Reed a little bit, he was very indifferent. He was older. He was like two years, nine months. So he was closer okay. to three when Violet was born. Um, I wouldn't say specific jealousy, but definitely, I mean, his adjustment, I feel like took a year. And that's the other thing I will say too, is sometimes it's all about, okay, how are they going to react to the new baby? And often mm-hmm. that, that honeymoon new baby period is easier because the baby sleeps and they nurse. For us, like the bigger adjustment was a crawling baby, you know, like yeah. who was into everybody's business. So it's just an ongoing, it just takes, it takes a while. But I would say I had, I saw more traditional jealousy, maybe like you're with her, you're not with me, with him a little bit, um, but mm-hmm. not with the first, I don't know. Huh. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes too, it's not jealousy necessarily. It's just my life has been a little bit disrupted and I don't yes. know what to make of it. Um, exactly. And especially if Reed is the kind of kid who really thrives on that predictability yeah. and structure, then I could see yeah, how that exactly. would throw him for a loop, you know? Exactly. He's going to be adjusting to Violet for the rest of his life. Probably. Right. <laughs> but he's going to adjust to everything for the rest. I mean, exactly. every new thing exactly. that he has to face is going to be exactly. an adjustment. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I have a few, um, that either our listeners have talked about or just that I think are generally things that toddler moms freak out about. Um, and one that I think is so common that we can probably both comment on is aggressive behavior. So when you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> when your toddler is the one who is hitting, biting, toy taking, pushing either at daycare or the park or in any kind of public setting, it can be very stressful. And, I don't have as much to say except that I didn't get that kid until the third time and I was just blissfully worn in by that point and I had seen so many moms go through it and just knew how normal it was and I knew she wasn't going to turn into a sociopath and I knew that most 90% of other parents are understanding about it Um, and she wasn't in daycare, thank goodness, because really she would have been kicked out. Um, But I know, but I do know parents whose kids are in daycare and they are the biter. There's always a biter and a pusher. And they grow out of it, you guys. They totally grow out of it. And the teachers understand and most of the other parents understand, but it can be really stressful. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. 
They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. So have you had any biters or pushers? You know, let me think about that. I Jacob was such a timid kid mm-hmm. that the time, the one time I saw him push another kid backward off of... Um, <laughs> teeter-totter I was so proud of him yeah (laughs) because this other kid was up in his face and wouldn't leave him alone and Jacob pushed and I was like oh my gosh yeah like oh you know I didn't do that in front of the other mom I was of course like oh my goodness what happened but I was really proud of him so that was a totally different situation um I don't know that I had any biters I mean maybe like once or twice it was never really yeah biters are it's a very specific like you're either a biter or you're not and if you have daycare and preschool kids you know there's a lot of kids I mean when they bite Yes, it's aggressive, but it's not always – sometimes it's like the sensation yes. – I mean, I've read anyway – of like teeth on flesh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not necessarily like, I hate you and I want to make you bleed. I mean, it's the it's kids not being able to connect yeah. their actions to what, you know, the consequences. Um, and not having the words. I mean, right, not, not having words, enough to say anything else. Yeah, Isaac was um, – he was not aggressive – with like kids on the playground so much, but he was my terror child. And I've talked about him before. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the one who ran away and like, we have this memory and I, you know, we try to keep this G rated. I'll just say that one memory that John and I share of when Isaac was, and he was very, very verbal too, very, very young. Mm-hmm. So he ran away from us in target and hid in a clothing rack and we couldn't find him. We couldn't figure <laughs> out where he was. And he was just sitting there saying, um, S-H-I-T, over and over. And we couldn't oh find him. We're, so we're running. We can hear this little toddler voice, although he had a very deep little toddler voice, but it's still a toddler's <laughs> voice. And he's just cussing over and over somewhere in the store. And we're running around like sweating, looking, you know, trying to find him. That was Isaac. And that was really stressful because he yeah. was the kid who publicly melted down, yeah. threw a tantrum if you want to take him someplace, kicking and screaming. He was aggressive towards us, not toward other kids right. so much. So well, I think it was the other okay. kid aggression, it often happens really young toddler, like the 12 to 18 to 24 right. month olds, where they really don't have enough words. And I, Violet was not a biter, um, but she was a hair puller, and especially toward anyone her size or smaller. So she was fine with older kids because she was used to older siblings, but I would follow her around like, like little kid playgrounds and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know everybody thought I was helicoptering my own child. Like, especially if the older kids were at school, I know it looked so much like I was being protective of her. (laughs) And I wanted to say, no, no, I'm looking out for you (laughs) because the first, I mean, and she didn't have to be provoked. It was only if she could, like if, if I'm big enough that I could knock this kid down. So she was, she'd either, she'd either push him in the face 
or pull their hair. Those were like her mm-hmm. MOs. And I think luckily, like I said, it was my third kid. So I just, I knew how normal it was. But especially if you have a daycare kid, that's very stressful. The daycares, they do their best, but they have to report. So they have to tell the, the victim's family that they got bit. They have to yeah. tell you that your kid bit. I mean, kids can get sent home, kicked out. And it's yeah. just, I think it, for most kids, it's a very normal developmental phase. It doesn't mean you shouldn't address it in whatever way you think is best, but they just grow out of it. They're not going to yeah. be biting kids in their school when they're three. It's very much, I feel like a, like a, a young little, toddler like phase. A young toddler thing. That makes sense. And it's funny. I, it is funny to me that I just lucked out either. I blanked it out, which is yeah. possible. It's very possible. I went through a month of having a biter or two months or something. Yeah. And I just don't remember. Um, but I think that just wasn't the way my particular kids' aggression manifested. Right. <laughs> Let's put it no, that way. No, and I didn't either with the first two. They had mm. they would they'd be criers with us, like you yeah. said, or you know, but not. Um, but yeah, Violet was for sure. A, she was a hair puller and a face pusher. Well, um, <laughs> face pusher. I love that. <laughs> I could just totally see her pushing someone's face. You know, and she she yeah. Anyway, well, um, but I do think that this ties into a larger thing that I definitely experienced with toddlers. And pre- maybe even more preschoolers, but toddlers is where it starts, a toddler age. And that is public parenting. Yes. I mean, when you have a kid who's totally melting down, shoving, pushing, kicking, biting, whatever is happening, and it's in a public place, <laughs> that would bring out all of my anxieties as a mom. And and it led me to make some really bad parenting choices from time to time, which we've talked about on this show before. Um and I think I finally came to the conclusion that if I'm doing anything because I think I'm worried about what some other mom on the playground or wherever is going to think of me, that I'm probably not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's just that you can't come from that place because mm-hmm. then you just defend, you're just coming out of, uh, you're just reacting out of defensiveness and you're not right. really proactively doing what's right for you and your kids. So right. that's a really, but that's easier said than done, you know? Well, I, we, we should link to your, I don't, I thought we had mentioned this before, but now that I'm thinking, I don't think we have, which is your um, Huffington Post piece with a picture of you carrying Isaac having a oh. tantrum. Um, so it's a great photo yeah. that you found that somebody had taken where you are physically taking out your tantruming toddler. And it yeah. was, a. I just, I mean, we don't have to go into all the details, but it was a picture that everyone related to because we've all been there. And that right. public parenting moment of having the kicking and screaming child. And then you wrote a great post about it. Well, um, it was, it was that one where I, I just posted it one night on my face. I found it. I thought it was clever. I took a picture of it. I posted it on my Facebook wall and was like, Oh, you know, I remember how this felt. Cause I'm walking in yeah. heels. I'm pregnant. You're and at a I've wedding. got this kid yeah. at a wedding and I had had to carry him away from a photo session because he completely just wouldn't, wouldn't, I mean, he just couldn't hold himself together. Right. You know, everyone else is smiling for the picture and here's Isaac like throwing himself on the ground. So I finally just picked him up and carried him away. And I have this look on my face, like that look, that mm-hmm. stoic, like grim. <laughs> you can practically see the gate. I'm like trudging yeah, away, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and I tell people all the time, like he is now just my like most shy, reserved, quiet, right. sweet kid. It's just, he was young. He didn't know what to do with his physical self. It's yeah. really, it's so fascinating to see how kids can change when they get more mature. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And yeah. I think all of this, if we're like to zoom out for a second, all of the freaking out we did X number of years ago that we now see the, how time has changed things. I mean, that can really help you whatever you're in the middle of right now, right. go two years ahead and look back and just imagine that conversation like, wow, remember how much we freaked out about this and now it's fine. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, even something like diet, it's so funny because I'm thinking now back to when you know, Jacob was younger and really didn't like to eat like a very big variety of foods. And I had to have very specific things. And then, oh, or William, when he was like two, was eating Indian food and all this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, like he's going to be the best eater. Well now, you know, for fast forwarding, Mm -hmm. flipping it, um, Jacob is a very adventurous eater Mm -hmm. and it will eat almost, you know, anything we give him. He loves vegetables. He likes healthy food. And William actually kind of became a little more reserved and Mm -hmm. went through that typical young kid wanting to just eat white bread and and right. fried stuff phase two. So you never really know. I mean, their personalities do come out in a myriad of ways and they're little, but you, it's not set in stone. It is not. It is not set. And yeah. so many things are grown out of or evolved. Um, yeah, I had eating and nutrition and pickiness as just a general thing that we tend to freak out about. I feel like the, the nutrition part is one that I, I have not worried about, like in terms of eating enough vegetables, the pickiness grates on my nerves sometimes. So those are kind of two different things, but worrying about your kid eating enough or getting enough of certain 
vitamins and nutrients for whatever reason is one that I've been kind of meh about. I probably could stand to be a little more <laughs> right. about it. We tend to eat really healthy at home, but I just don't, I don't stress about sneaking in the veggies or, you know, figuring out, I don't know. I just kind of have resigned myself to a few years where green vegetables are like a bonus and carrots yeah. are fine. And, but that is something I know that some people worry a lot about. And also if you have a lightweight, if you have a little, a tiny kid about just getting enough calories in them can be a worry in the, especially in the toddler years. Sometimes some toddlers like run around all day and it feels like they eat nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that can be a worry for some people. Um, again, is unless the pediatrician is saying you should be worried that your kid's not gaining weight, then you probably shouldn't be worried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, um, I don't know, the nutrition thing to me, we've talked about this before, Sarah. It's the yeah. big picture, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, we tend to zoom in on each meal and be like, oh, was it the correct ratio yeah. of protein to fat? And yeah, uh, you know, and, and like we've talked about before, it's, it's really more like look at it over a week, a month, a, yeah. a year, like, you know, it's, and make the changes, make the changes at the, at the large scale level for your family. I mean, shopping right. healthy, we talked about cooking and meal planning last week. So kind of looking at those as lifestyle values and goals yes. for your family, but just letting go what they put in their mouths on any given day, kind of. Yeah. 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 Agreed. I don't know. I don't know if that helps. So this is kind of a big one and I don't know where this will take us, but this was sent in by a listener. And then of course I can relate. And that is worrying about or stressing about developmental milestones, like walking, talking, counting, all those things. And then related to that is kind of giving up the baby things like pacify, quitting the pacifier or, you know, stopping co-sleeping or weaning or, Um, And some of the same themes of potty training, I would say, work in here, which is to say every kid is different and they'll do things when they're ready. I can't relate as much to the worrying about the developmental milestones. That's another one that I I feel like I was just around a lot of different babies with who are on different tracks. And Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to just like be like, all right, well, she was my kids were all early talkers and late walkers. And I kind of knew that about them. I didn't worry I mean, Allegra did not go anywhere, like literally did not go anywhere gross motor wise till she was 13 months old, mm. not even crawling. I probably should have been worried about that, but I just, I just wasn't. She liked to sit. She was the first child. Everybody brought her the toys and yeah. then she stood up and walked at 13 months. And anyway, but that's a big one. And then the giving up and then the, the, the weaning off of some of those baby things, giving up the bottles and the pacifiers. So there's a lot of, I think, worry about those things because there's the only way we know to talk about it is to quantify it, meaning 13 months, 15 months, this should be done. And of course those are helpful guideposts, but it's just, it's so different when you're just dealing with a human being. And Mm -hmm. I think the only help I can offer is it was really helpful for me to be around a lot of babies and toddlers of similar ages and to see, not read on the internet what they were doing, but to see in real life, the differences from kid to kid to kid. And I just lucked into that kind of like friend group, play group. But if you're only with your own kid all day long and you're not, you don't see it with your own eyes. And for some reason, I don't think the internet counts. Like it doesn't count to read about the ranges of normal. You have to get out there and see it and see the kids who are talking at nine months and the kids who aren't talking at two and a half and see the kids who are in diapers at three and see the kids who are crawling and not crawling. And that was just really helpful for me. And it kind of um, helped normalize really what you, we pay lip service to, oh, you know, there's so many ways to be normal, but it was really helpful for me to see it. You know, and on the flip side of that, I will also say as someone who naturally I'm not um, inclined to worry about things like developmental milestones, I will Mm -hmm. also say, to be fair, that most of my kids met them in what I would call a fairly normal to early, you Uh know, so it was easy for me to say, right? Yes. But one thing I have heard from other parents whose kids did need extra help or could mm-hmm. benefit from extra services was being around other kids was the only way they knew. Because you know how you get yes. around your own baby? Because yes. so myopic. Like, yeah. this little person is like a part of me and what they're not doing anything. You know, what they're doing is right mm-hmm. for them. And like, if you don't see them in context with other kids, mm-hmm. it could be something really subtle. Like a friend of mine who um, whose son ended up, I think, I can't remember what the ultimate diagnosis was. It's some kind of sensory processing mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. She didn't realize that, it, like, when it was just her and him together, he was just her baby. It wasn't really, mm-hmm. like, she didn't really 
see what was going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And then because technically he was meeting a lot of them out, like he was meeting the milestones. But then right. when she was in a play group and looking around at the other kids, she was like, there's just something different. She couldn't put her finger on what it was, mm-hmm. but he didn't. And I think it was um, maybe not making eye contact as much mm-hmm. or not interacting in the same way. And it was, mm-hmm. it's not the kind of thing she could have figured out from a book. Right. It was more like she had to be around other kids and say, right. oh, so all these other kids are doing this one little thing that you almost right. couldn't define. Right. And so I think it can go both ways. And, yeah. And not saying you should stress out if you think maybe something is a little bit different about your kid, but there is a lot of value in it. And then I think sometimes just knowing that you'll have a way to figure it out takes the stress off, if that yes. makes sense. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and, yeah. the, and the same thing, just being able to see it, how it plays out rather than yeah. reading it in a book, I feel like can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, and keep in mind too, like, I mean, I think sometimes if you have more than one kid, it also, there's, it's really hard not to compare mm-hmm. to your other kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fortunate that like, I think Clara was our late walker. And by that point I didn't even, right. I mean, when she started walking, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot I she was going to start doing that <laughs> at some point <laughs> here. Um, she was the only one who was, didn't walk past, um, you know, before a year old. So yeah. if it had been flipped, if she'd been the the first one, mm-hmm. I might've worried. Or if she'd been the second one after Jacob, who was kind of an early walker, you know what I mean? Like depending on where, mm-hmm. like what you have to compare to and how yes. busy you are and how close attention yes. you're paying, it can skew the way you feel about what your kids are doing. Agreed. So. Agreed. And I do think, and then same thing, hanging out with just a variety of other kids, typical kids, typical, you know, kids who are experiencing delays or needing extra help. I just think the the richer your definition of normal, and right. even when normal means not typical, but it's right, still right, right. normal to need help in certain areas. Exactly. Or, you know, so I think that that really Well, and help. that's that's actually another really good thing that you pointed out, because I think when, you know, when my kids were little, in my head, if you needed, if you had any kind of special help or mm-hmm. um, services or anything, like that was a problem. Like yeah. you were admitting there was something really wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny now looking back how many kids I know who've had a year of some kind of support and right. then don't need it anymore. Right. I mean, it's not like you're, <laughs> it's oh, not I... like you're signing your kid, your, your future, your kid's future away. It's, it's just, it's just help. It's just like yeah. support. Yeah. Um, I think we can be a little afraid of it sometimes. Agreed. Another thing Agreed. to be anxious about, right? Yes, I know. <laughs> no, that's so true. That is so true. And the more, again, the more families you encounter who've encountered those same types of challenges, you just realize, oh, okay. Yeah. Part of the normal. Um, exactly. How about kind of related to this, the opposite of the developmental milestones is giving up those baby things. Did you, did you have any where you were kind of like, you know, like giving up a pacifier yeah. or stopping the co-sleeping or something where you, well, you just I think, got I definitely think potty training plays, yes, is one of for those. Sure. Uh, the only one of my kids who had a pacifier was Jacob, and he was, oh, easily three and a half when uh-huh. he finally gave it up. And yeah, there was, people are so judgy about stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, it was one of those things where we did have a new baby. We didn't want to take it away because I felt mm-hmm. like it was his, it was his, you know, comfort. Um, it certainly made our nights a lot easier. It made him take naps reliably. I mean, it just things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. that I wasn't really, I was loath to give up and I was afraid yeah. that if I really kind of put my foot down about it. Um, and it, what ended up happening for him was we were on a family, we were driving, we went on this long road trip. We went to my sister's house and we was, John always wore button down shirts with two pockets and he'd always have a pacifier in each uh-huh. pocket and I'd have a pacifier in my purse and he'd have one in the uh-huh. diaper bag. Like we had them all over the place and we, uh-huh. this long, you know, 10 hour road trip had just stripped us of all of our pacifiers. Yeah. <laughs> and we got to my sister's house like three in the morning and couldn't find one. And I just said to Jacob, I'm sorry, we're not going out to get you a pacifier. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to go to sleep without it. And he whined and complained a little bit and he, he did. And it was fine. I mean, mm-hmm. um, it was easier than I thought it would be, but at the same time, it was a unique situation where he knew there was no way we right. was, he was going right. to get one. And so, yeah, I don't regret letting him have it up until yeah. that point. Um, I don't know. Yeah. There's, I'm sure there was other ones, but that was, that's the one that sticks out in my head because it was yeah. one of those, I have it. I can take this away from you at any time kind of thing. It's not like he had to right. do anything. And then, like you, and then the guilt's a little bit on you. It's right. not like them learning to get up and walk, but when it's something right. that you feel like you're enabling or that, you exactly. know, that's, that's the guilt talking. I'm not saying that's what you are doing, but, right. um, but another one that I hear a lot of that, um, I always feel like I want to calm people down about is, uh, nighttime diapers or wearing pull-ups at night, yeah. but back to the potty training. I think you and I have both talked about that, that 
is so developmental. But I think when it's your first kid, there's some misinformation out there or people just assume that once they're daytime potty trained, that they should be out of pull-ups or diapers at night or that the kid has some way that they could control that or there's something you can do as a parent to help them be dry at night. And I just think, um, I mean, I'm not a pediatrician, but I just think that there's some misconceptions about how much you can control that nighttime dryness thing. Absolutely. And, you know, and potty training is not the same. Being potty trained is not the same thing as being dry at night. But it's amazing how many people I think um, first time parents don't, nobody's ever said those words to them, including their pediatrician. Right. No, I know. And it's something like, because I actually did um, quite a bit of looking into this before. And I think something like 25% of six, six year olds still do not get through the night dry, you know, like right. every night and they're not necessarily wet in the bed every night, but if that makes, if using a pull-up or whatever, um, every night makes you sleep better and lessens the chance that your kid's going to wake up in a wet bed, then, right. you know, I mean, we'll, I'm not going to judge that. Like, yeah. And somebody yeah. else just, I also heard another statistic recently that the pediatricians don't treat it as something to do something about till like 10 or 11. Yeah. It's, so, it's very normal. It's right. very, very, very normal. So, and, the, and, and it's not tied to daytime potty training, which I think right. is exactly how you said it. They're and I think that's different. something as a first time parent that, um, a lot of people think it is. It's like, well, they're potty trained, but they're still, you know, in a pull up at night. So yeah. one of my kids was in a pull up at night till almost five. And the other was dry as soon as he daytime potty trained. He was the hardest to daytime potty train, but as soon as he was dry during the day, he was dry at night. There was nothing. I didn't do anything differently. It was yeah. just completely different. I, I had two that were well past five in yeah. in some kind of nighttime, you know, good good nights or operation or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it just it just is is again, it's just another normal. And I think sometimes like once you accept that and stop trying to fix or plan or, you know, pre-solve a problem that's not even really a problem. Um, it just makes everybody's, it just makes everyone be able to relax. And it's just, that's one of those things I just decided not to freak out about. Yeah. Gosh, isn't that crazy that we can take that advice so well in certain areas and then still get hung up on other things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to, speaking of that, this is great timing. Um, one of our listeners is a pediatrician and she wrote to us, she's a mom and a pediatrician. Her name's Megan. Her kids are very close in age to my kids. So a couple of school-aged ones and then a toddler. And um, she said, episode 19, and that was the, the, the precursor to this one about yes. new moms. She said, it made me smile. She said, I'm on the receiving end of lots of unnecessary parental worries because she's a pediatrician. And um, she said, when I had my first, I was a resident working long hours and taking care of very sick kids. When you spend your days and nights taking care of kids with cancer or other life-threatening illnesses, you learn not to sweat the small stuff. And she said, for the most part, my job has made me pretty laid back about the stuff that doesn't matter. But I see lots of parents who are stressed about the things you mentioned. And thanks for calming down stressed out parents with your reassurance. So I loved hearing from a pediatrician who's the one who hears about all these things and has kind of the bigger picture. And I'm sure that Megan would say she's had her own things that she's stressed out over. None of us are immune. But it is so true that when you see, you know, when you see the bigger picture like that, um, you're able to not sweat the smaller stuff. And, you know, as a pediatrician, you would see all ranges of normal and you'd also see all different ages, you know, the things that parents of teenagers are dealing with and the newborns. But when you're in it, you're in it. So, um, you, I don't know how much time you have left, Sarah, but I did notice on here that we've got, we've got, (laughs) do it. Um, that Lindsay via email, um, (laughs) sent us an email saying that she is a mom of boy and girl, 21, 21 month old twins and has struggled recently with how to discipline them. And mm. it's so funny because now that I've been doing this for a long time, I tend to think of discipline as more of a like preschool, school age type of thing. Mm. But I do remember really worrying about discipline, especially when Isaac, my um, rambunctious little guy, was around that age. Mm. And I read a lot of books. Um, one in particular that I think, I'm not even sure if it's available anymore, it was called Without Spanking or Spoiling. That was yes. when I remember thinking was actually pretty good. Like, um, it had good strategies and it, it didn't take a hard line one way or the other, which I liked. Yes. But I will say, I think the idea of disciplines and discipline and toddlers mm-hmm. going together is maybe a little, I don't want to use the word unrealistic because that sounds sort of defeatist, mm-hmm. but I don't, I feel like at 21 months, it's a lot of modeling yep. and redirection. Distraction and redirection. Distraction, redirection and modeling. I don't necessarily think there is something you can employ at that age that's discipline the way we think of discipline. Agreed. Um, you and I did that episode of the home hour before we launched this show that really oh, like, right. 
we should be. But no, I'm going to link to that. And we talked about discipline and toddlers. And um, I think you're exactly right. But I think what happens as first time parents is when you see that personality rear its head sometime after the first birthday, you just go right to the place of, okay, this is happening. You know, they are pushing Mm -hmm. the buttons when I tell them not to. And they're laughing at me and saying no. And they know they're not supposed to. That's usually like, the click, right? When they, yep. it's one thing for a baby to get into something because he's curious, but it's another when they look at you and they laugh and they do right. the thing they know they're not supposed to do. And then you think, because you're the first time parent, so you think, okay, well now I have to fix this. And discipline is sort of the word that we apply to all of that. But I, I 100% think you're right. Um, and that I, uh, that episode we did of the home hour will link to. Um, and I think you and I both talked about our favorite kind of toddler resources. But yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And it's so normal you know, Lindsay via email to, to have that be something that your attention turns to because you're like, okay, I got the sleeping down. I got the eating right. down. <laughs> yeah. Now I have a person. Now I have to create a, you know, a productive member of society out of this little right. crazy human. You know, I think that discipline is a big one, but really all of these things that we're talking about, the reason we freak out is because we feel like it, it whatever it is that we're allowing or not allowing or doing or not doing now is going to create the human being that that we're going to end ultimately send out right. in the world. And there's right. so much fear involved in all mm-hmm. that, you know, there's so much like, and it's hard to get away from that, especially when you, um, read more, mm-hmm. I mean, judgy, mm-hmm. um, articles and things like that, where it's like, you need to, basically you're creating these people who are going to go out in the world someday. And if you don't do it right, you know, it's, there's like mm-hmm. this sense that we're this generation of parents, and I'm sure the last generation of parents got the same sense and the one before mm-hmm. that and the one before that, but that we're like falling down on the job mm-hmm. and we're not creating, we're creating monsters. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's particularly discipline, but a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today, the biting, um, health, mm-hmm. I mean, all that stuff mm-hmm. that if we don't get it right now, we've failed and we're never going to have a chance to get it right in the future. And, right. um, that I, you know, it's not true. <laughs> No, it is just, I could just wrap it up in a tight little bow. (laughs) It's not not that we shouldn't be thinking about it or working toward, you know, obviously we, we all should be thinking about the way we're parenting and parenting with attention. Of course. But there's so many factors that go into it. There's so many opportunities to get it right. Your kid will change. Mm -hmm. The world will change. You know, it's, it's, the rules will change. The rules will change. I mean, no one thing you're doing today is as dire as it might feel like. Yeah, I think that's really, and what we're doing here, which is kind of normalizing these worries, because there's two sides. It's one thing to just say, well, don't worry, (laughs) but that's, that's hard or, you know, easier, a lot easier said than done. So I think one of the things that helps is kind of normalizing those worries by, you know, hanging out with other moms and talking to them or podcasts like this, or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I find it really helpful. I I talked about being around babies of the same age, but I also think it's helpful to be around moms of kids who are older than yours and to not just be around them, but to say like, what, you know, how did this work in your family? And to hear, because it's so, we become so wise in, you know, hindsight, right? So you and I can be wise about the baby years, but there's things ahead that we haven't experienced. And so when you kind of talk about those things with moms who are further ahead, most often you hear, oh yeah, we totally went through that. Or I know somebody who went through that and it all turned out okay. So I think that's, that's all part of it. Was that a good place for us to wrap? I feel like we just put a nice tidy little, you know, yeah, I think so. I think so. We'd love to hear from everybody. This can be an ongoing, (laughs) we can have a part three. Um, Oh, we haven't even scratched the surface. I I know, you know, (laughs) know. (laughs) Um, but I think we tackled most of the big, the big ones that our listeners came to us with and that we experienced. Um, so this episode will be 24 episode 24. That'll be at themomhour.com and all of the things we talked about, the blog posts and the resources, Um, We'll link to right there as well as our little Instagram photos. And um, you can leave us a comment right there in the show notes or send an email. Hello at the momhour.com. And hopefully, I I think we heard from a lot of people when we did episode 19 that this just helped them breathe easier. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully this did the same. So, yeah, I think that's it. Well, we'll be back in a week with more whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is we're going to do next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.
Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Tease Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Tease Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Tease Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasemade.com to find all the episodes.